0: Part One of Peace on Earth Good Will to Dogs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Peace on Earth Good Will to Dogs by Eleanor Howell Abbott. Part One If you don't like Christmas stories, don't read this one and if you don't like dogs i don't know just what to advise you to do for i warn you perfectly frankly that i am distinctly pro-dog and distinctly pro-christmas and would like to bring to this little story whatever whiff of fur balsam i can cajole from the make-believe forest in my typewriter and every glitter of tinsel, smudge of toy candle, crackle of wrapping paper, that my particular brand of brain and ink can conjure up from a single keyboard. And very large-sized dogs shall romp through every page, and the mercury shiver perpetually in the vicinity of zero, and every foot of earth be crusty brown and bare with no white snow at all, "'till the very last moment when you've just about given up hope. "'And all the heart of the story is very, oh, very young. "'For purposes of propriety and general historical authenticity "'there are, of course, parents in the story, "'and one or two other oldish persons. "'But they all go away just as early in the narrative as I can manage it, "'are obliged to go away.' "'Yet, lest you find in this general combination of circumstances "'some sinister thread of audacity, "'let me conventionalize the story at once "'by opening it at that most conventional "'of all conventional Christmas story hours, "'the Twilight of Christmas Eve. "'Nuff said. "'Christmas Eve, you remember, twilight. "'Awfully cold weather. "'And somebody very young.' Now for the story itself. After five blustering, wintry weeks of village speculation and gossip, there was, of course, considerable satisfaction in being the first to solve the mysterious holiday tenancy of the Rattle Pain House. Breathless with excitement, Flame Norris telephoned the news from the village post-office. From a pedestal of boxes, fairly bulging with red-wheeled go-carts, one keen young elbow rammed for balance into a gay, glassy shelf of stick-candy, green tissue garlands tickling across her cheek. She sped the message to her mother. "'Oh, mother, funny!' triumphed Flame. "'I found out who's Christmasing at the Rattlepane House. It's a red-haired setter-dog with one black ear— "'And he's sitting at the front gate this moment, "'superintending the unpacking of the furniture van, "'and I've named him Lopsy.' "'Why, Flame, how absurd!' gasped her mother. "'In consideration of the fact that Flame's mother "'had run all the way from the icy-footed chicken-yard "'to answer the telephone, "'it shows distinctly what stuff she was made of "'that she gasped nothing else.' and that flame herself re-telephoned within the half-hour to acknowledge her absurdity shows equally distinctly what stuff she was made of it was from the summit of a crate of holly wreaths that she telephoned this time oh mother funny apologized flame you were perfectly right no lone dog in the world could possibly manage a great spooky place like the rattle pane house there are two other dogs with him a great long narrow sofa-shaped dog upholstered in lemon and white something terribly ferocious like russian wolfhound i think he is but i've named him beautiful lovely and there's the neatest-looking paper-white coach dog just perfectly ruined with ink spots blunderblot i think will make a good name for him and oh flame panted her mother dogs do not take houses it was not from the chicken yard that she had come running this time but only from her husband's sermon-writing room in the attic oh don't they though bloated flame well they've taken this one anyway taken it by storm i mean scratched all the green paint off the front door Tore a big hole as a cavern in the Barberry Hedge, pushed the sundial through a bulkhead. If it snows tonight, the cellar'll be a glacier, and dogs do not take houses, persisted Flame's mother. She was still persisting it, indeed when she returned to her husband's study. Her husband, it seemed, had not noticed her absence still poring over the tomes and commentaries incidental to the preparation of his next sunday's sermon his fine face glowed half frown half ecstasy in the december twilight while close at his elbow all unnoticed a smoking kerosene lamp went smudging its acrid path to the ceiling dusky lock for dusky lock dreamy eye for dreamy eye smoking lamp for smoking lamp It might have been a short-haired replica of Flame herself. "'Oh, if Flame had only been set like the maternal side of the house,' reasoned Flame's mother. "'Or merely dreamy like her father—her father being only dreamy could sometimes be diverted from his dreams. But to be set and dreamy both—absolutely set on being absolutely dreamy?' that was flame with renewed tenacity flame's mother reverted to truth as truth dogs do not take houses she affirmed with unmistakable emphasis eh what jumped her husband dogs dogs who said anything about dogs with a fretted pucker between his brows he bent to his work again you interrupted me he reproached her my sermon is about hellfire i had all but smelled it it was very disagreeable with a gesture of impatience he snatched up his notes and tore them in two i think i will write about the garden of eden instead he rallied the garden of eden in iris time florentina alba everywhere whiteness sweetness now let me see Auris root, I believe, is deducted from the Florentina Alba. <sniffs> hm, hm, sniffed Flame's mother. With an impulse purely practical, she started for the kitchen. The season happens to be Christmas time, she suggested bluntly. Now if you could see your way to make a sermon that smelt like doughnuts and plum pudding— Doughnuts? queried her husband, and hurried after her— Supplementing the far-remote glory-of-God expression in his face, the glory of doughnuts shone suddenly very warmly. Flame, at least, did not have to be reminded about the seasons. "'Oh, Mother!' telephoned Flame almost at once. "'It's so much nearer Christmas than it was half an hour ago. Are you sure everything will keep? All those big packages that came in yesterday?' "'That humpy one especially. "'Don't you think you ought to peep or poke? "'Just the teeniest, tiniest little peep or poke. "'It would be a shame if anything spoiled a turkey "'or or a fur coat or anything. "'I am making doughnuts,' confided her mother "'with the faintest possible taint of asperity. "'Oh!' conceded Flame. "'And Father's watching them? "'Then I'll hurry. "'Mother,' depreciated the excited young voice, "'you are always so horridly right. "'Lopsy and Beautiful Lovely and Blunderblot "'are not Christmasing all alone in the Rattlepane house. "'There is a man with them. "'Don't tell Father. "'He's so nervous about men.' "'A man?' stammered her mother. "'Oh, I hope not a young man. "'Where did he come from?' "'Oh, I don't think he came at all,' confided Flame. It was Flame who had per- who was perplexed this time. "'He looks to me more like a person who has always been there. Like something, I mean, that the dogs found in the attic. Quite crumpled he is, and with a red waistcoat. A—a a butler, perhaps? A—a a sort of second-hand butler? Oh, Mother, I wish we had a butler!' "'Flame!' "'interrupted her mother quite abruptly. "'Where are you doing all this telephoning from? "'I only gave you eighteen cents, and it was to buy cereal with.' "'Cereal?' considered Flame. "'Oh, that's all right,' she glowed suddenly. "'I've paid cash for the telephoning and charged the cereal.' With a swallow faintly guttural, Flame's mother hung up the receiver. "'Dogs do not have butlers.' she persisted unshakenly she was perfectly right they did not it seemed no one was quicker than flame to acknowledge a mistake before five o'clock flame had added a telephone item to the serial bill oh mother questioned flame the little red sweater and tam that i have on would they be all right do you think for me to make a call in not a formal call of course just a—a a neighborly greeting at the door. It being Christmas Eve and everything, and as long as I have to pass right by the house anyway, there is a lady at the rattle Payne house. A—a—what follow would call a lady maiden. Miss—' "'Oh, not a real lady, I think,' protested her mother. "'Not with all those dogs. No real lady, I think, would have so many dogs. It—it it isn't sanitary.' "'Isn't sanitary?' cried flame why mother they are the most absolutely perfectly sanitary dogs you ever saw in your life into her eager young voice an expression of ineffable dignity shot suddenly well really mother she said in whatever concerns men or crocheting i'm perfectly willing to take father's advice or yours but after all i'm eighteen stiffened the young voice "'And when it comes to dogs, I must use my own judgment.' "'And just what is the lady's name?' questioned her mother a bit weakly. "'Her name is Miss Flora,' brightened Flame. "'The butler has just gone to the station to meet her. "'I heard him telephoning quite frenziedly. "'I think she must have missed her train or something. "'It seemed to make everybody very nervous. "'Maybe she's nervous.' Maybe she's a nervous invalid, with a lost lover somewhere, and all sorts of pressed flowers. Somebody ought to call anyway, call right away, I mean, before she gets any more nervous. So many people's first impressions of a place, I've heard, are spoiled for lack of some perfectly silly little thing like a nutmeg grater or a hot water bottle. And, oh, mother, it's been so long since anyone lived in the Rattlepane house." not for years and years and years—not dogs, anyway—not a lemon and white wolfhound—not setters, not spotty dogs—oh, Mother, just one little wee single minute at the door, the Reverend and Mrs. Flamon Norris and Miss Norris present their compliments. Just long enough to say the Reverend and Mrs. Flamon Norris and Miss Norris present their compliments and are you by any chance short a marrow-bone? Or would you possibly care to borrow an extra quilt to rug up under the kitchen table? Blunderblot doesn't look very thick, or— Oh, Mother, please! When Flame said, Please, like that, the word was no more, no less, than the fabled bundle of rags or haunch of venison, hurled back from a wolf-pursued sleigh, to divert the pursuer even temporarily from the main issue. While Flame's mother paused to consider the particularly flavorous sweetness of that entreaty, to picture the flashing eye, the pulsing throat, the absurdly crinkled nostril that invariably accompanied all Flame's entreaties, Flame herself was escaping. Taken all in all, escaping was one of the best things that Flame did— as well as the most becoming. Whipped into scarlet by the sudden plunge from a stove-heated store into the frosty night, her young cheeks fairly blazed their bright reaction. Frost and speed quickened her breath. Glint for glint, her shining eyes challenged the moon. Fearful even yet that some tardy admonition might overtake her, she sped like a deer through the darkness, It was a dull-smelling night. Pretty, but very dull-smelling. Disdainfully her nostrils crinkled their disappointment. "'Christmas-time adventures ought to smell like Christmas,' she scolded. "'Maybe if I'm ever president,' she argued, "'I won't do so awfully well with the tariff or things like that. But Christmas shall smell of Christmas, not just of frozen mud and camphor balls.' "'I'll have great vats of fir-balsam essence at every street-corner, "'and gigantic atomizers, and every passer-by shall be sprayed, "'and stores and churches, and—and everybody who doesn't like Christmas shall be dipped.' Under her feet the smoothish village road turns suddenly into the harsh and hobbly ruts of a country lane. With fluctuant blackness against immutable blackness, great sweeping pine-trees swished weirdly into the horizon where the hobbly lane curved darkly into a meadow through a snarl of winter-stricken willows the rattle of a loose window-pane smote quite distinctly on the ear it was a horrid deserted sound and with the instinctive habit of years flame's little hand clutched at her heart then quite abruptly she laughed aloud oh you can't scare me any more you gloomy old rattle-pane house she laughed you're not deserted now people are christmasing in you whether you like it or not you're being christmased very tentatively she puckered her lips to a whistle almost instantly from the darkness ahead a dog's bark rang out deep sonorous faintly suspicious With a little chuckle of joy she crawled through the barberry Hedge, and emerged for a single instant only at her full height, before three furry shapes came hurtling out of the darkness and toppled her over backwards. "'Stop, beautiful lovely!' she gasped. "'Stop, lops! Behave yourself, blunderblot! Sillies! Don't you know I'm the lady that was talking to you this morning through the picket fence?' don't you know i'm the lady that fed you the box of cereal oh dear oh dear oh dear she struggled i knew of course that there were three dogs but who ever in the world would have guessed that three could be so many as expeditiously as possible she picked herself up and bolted for the house with two furry shapes leaping largely on either side of her and one cold nose sniffing interrogatively at her heels. Her heart was very light, her pulses jumping with excitement. An occasional furry head, doming into the palm of her hand, warmed the whole bleak night with its sense of mute companionship. But the back of her heels felt certainly very queer. Even the warm yellow lights of the rattle-pane house did not altogether dispel her uneasiness maybe i'd better not plan to make my call so uh, so very informal she decided suddenly not at a house where there are quite so many dogs not at a house where there is a butler anyway crowding and pushing and yelping and fawning around her it was the dogs who announced her ultimate arrival like a drift of snow the huge wolfhound whirled his white shagginess into the vestibule shrill as a banging blind the impetuous coach-dog lurched his sleek weight against the door sucking at a crack of light the red setter's kindle nose glowed and snorted with dragon-like ferocity without knock or ring the door handle creaked and turned three ecstatic shapes went hurling through a yellow glare into the hall beyond and flame found herself staring up into the blinking astonished eyes of the crumpled old man with the red waistcoat. "'Good good evening, butler,' she rallied. "'Good evening, miss,' stammered the butler. "'I've—I've uh, I've come to call,' confided Flame. "'To—call?' Uh, stammered the butler. "'Yes,' conceded Flame. "'I—I I don't happen to have an engraved card with me.' Before the continued imperturbability of the old butler, all subterfuge seemed suddenly quite useless. I never had an engraved card. She confided quite abruptly. But you might tell Miss Flora, if you please. Would nothing crack the butler's imperturbability? Well, maybe she could prove just a little bit imperturbable herself. Oh, butlers don't tell people things, do they? They always announce things, don't they? Well... "'Kindly announce to Miss Flora that the the, the—that the—the minister's daughter is at the door.' "'Oh, no, it isn't asking for a subscription or anything,' she hastened, quite suddenly, to explain. "'It's just a Christian call. "'Be—being so nervous and lost on the train and everything, "'we thought Miss Flora might be glad to know that there were neighbors. "'We live so near and everything, and can run like the wind.' Oh, not mother, of course. She's a bit stout. And father starts all right, but usually gets thinking of something else. But I kindly announced to Miss Flora, she repeated with palpable crispness, that the minister's daughter is at the door. Fixedly old, fixedly crumpled, fixedly imperturbable, the butler stepped back a single jerky pace and bowed her towards the parlour now thrilled flame the adventure really begins it certainly was a sad and romantic-looking parlor strangely furnished flame thought for even moving times through a maze of bulging packing boxes and barrels she picked her way to a faded rose-colored chair that flanked the fireplace That the chair was already half-occupied by a pile of ancient books and four dusty garden trowels only served to intensify the general air of gloom. Presiding over all, two dreadful bouquets of long dead grasses flared wanly on the mantelpiece. And from the tattered old landscape paper on the walls, Civil War heroes stared regretfully down through pale and tarnished frames. Dear me! shivered flame they're not going to christmas at all evidently not a sprig of holly anywhere not a ravel of tinsel not a jingle bell oh she must have lost a lot of lovers thrilled flame i can bring her flowers anyway my very first paper-white narcissus my with a scrape of the foot the butler made known his return miss flora he announced with a catch of her breath, Flame jumped to her feet and turned to greet the biggest, ugliest, most brindled, most wizened bulldog she had ever seen in her life. Miss Flora, repeated the old butler succinctly. Miss Flora? gasped Flame. Why, uh, why? I thought Miss Flora was a lady. Why— "'Miss Flora is indeed a very grand lady, miss,' affirmed the butler, without a flicker of expression. "'Of a pedigree so famous, so distinguished, so—' Numerically on his fingers he began to count the distinctions. five prizes this year, and three last. "'Do you mind the chop?' he gloated. "'The breadth? "'The depth?' "'Did you ever hear of allants? he demanded. "'Them bull-baiting dogs that was invented by the Second Duke of York or thereabouts in the year 1406.' "'Oh, my glory!' thrilled Flame. "'Is Miss Flora as old as that?' "'Miss Flora,' said the old butler with some dignity, "'is young, hardly two in fact, so young that she seems to me but just weaned.' with her great eyes goggled to a particularly disconcerting sort of scrutiny miss flora sprang suddenly forward to investigate the visitor as though by a preconcerted signal a chair crashed over in the hall and the wolfhound and the setter and the coach-dog came hurtling back in a furiously cordial onslaught with wags and growls and yelps of joy All four dogs met in Flame's lap. "'They seem to like me, don't they?' triumphed Flame. Intermittently, through the melee of flapping ears, shoving shoulders, waving paws, her beaming little face proved the absolute sincerity of that triumph. "'Mother's never let me have any dogs,' she confided. "'Mother thinks they're not—' "'Oh, of course I realize that four dogs is a—a good many.' She hastened diplomatically to concede to a certain sudden droop around the old butler's mouth-corners. From his slow, stooping poke of the sulky fire, the old butler glanced up with a certain plaintive intentness. "'All dogs is too many,' he affirmed. "'Come Christmas-time, I wishes I was dead.' "'Wish you were dead at Christmas-time?' cried Flame acute shock was in her protest it's the feedin sighed the old butler it ain't that i mind eatin with them on all saints day or fourth of july or even sundays but come christmas time it seems like i craves to eat with more humans i got a nephew less than twenty miles away he's got cider in his cellar and plum puddings his woman she raises guinea chickens and mince pies there is and tasty gravies but me i mix his dog bread and milk dog bread and milk till i can't see nothing think nothing but mush and him with the cider in his cellar it ain't as though mr delcote ever came himself to prove anything he argued not he not christmas time it's traveling he is he's had uh, misfortunes he confided darkly. He travels for em same as some folks travels for their healths. Most especially at Christmas time he travels for his misfortunes. He— Mr. Delcote? Quickened flame. Mr. Delcote? Now at last was the mysterious tenancy about to be divulged. All he says, persisted the old butler, all he says is, Now, Barrett—that's me. Now, Barrett— I trust your honor to see that the dogs ain't neglected just because it's Christmas. There ain't no reason, Barrett, he says, why innocent dogs should suffer Christmas just because everybody else does. They ain't done nothing. It won't do now, Barrett, he says, for you to give em their dinner at dawn when they ain't accustomed to it, and a pail of water, and shut them up while you go off for the day with any barrel of cider. You know what dogs is, Barrett. he says, and what they isn't. They've got to be fed regular, he says, and with discipline. Else there's deaths, some natural, some unnatural, and some just plain spectacular from furniture falling on their arguments. So if there's any fatalities come this Christmas-time, Barrett, he says, or any undue gains in weight or losses in weight, I shall infer, Barrett, he says, that you was absent without leave "Ah, it don't look like a very wholesome christmas for me sighed the old butler not either way not what you call wholesome but this mr delcote puzzled flame what a perfectly horrid man he must be to give such heavenly dogs nothing but dog bread and milk for their christmas dinner is he young is he old is he thin is he fat However, in the world, did he happen to come to a queer, battered old place like the Rattlepane House? But once come, why didn't he stay? And, 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 yes'm," sighed the old butler. In a ferment of curiosity, Flame edged jerkily forward and subsided as jerkily again. Oh, if this only was a parish call, she depreciated. I could ask questions right out loud. How, where, why, when? But being just a social call, I I suppose—I suppose—appealingly. Her eager eyes searched the old butler's inscrutable face. "'Yes,' repeated the old butler dully. Through the quivering fingers that he swept suddenly across his brow, two very genuine tears glistened. With characteristic precipitousness, flame jumped to her feet oh darn mr delcote she cried i'll feed your dogs christmas day it won't take a minute after my own dinner or before i'll run like the wind no one need ever know so it was that when flame arrived at her own home fifteen minutes later and found her parents madly engaged in packing suitcases, searching timetables, and rushing generally to and fro from attic to cellar. No very mutual exchange of confidences ensued. "It's your uncle Wally," panted her mother. "Another shock," confided her father. "Not such a bad one either," explained her mother. "But of course we'll have to go, the very first thing in the morning, Christmas Day too." and leave you all alone. It's a perfect shame. But I've planned it all out for everybody. Father's lay reader, of course, will take the Christmas service. We'll just have to omit the Christmas tree surprise for the children. It's lucky we didn't even unpack the trimmings, or tell a soul about it. In a hectic effort to pack both a thick coat and a thin coat, and a thick dress and a thin dress, and thick boots and thin boots in the same suitcase, she began very palpably to pant again yes every detail is all planned out she asserted with a breathy sort of pride you and your father are both so flighty i don't know whatever in the world you'd do if i didn't plan out everything for you with more manners than efficiency flame and her father dropped at once every helpful thing they were doing and sat down in rocking chairs to listen to the plan "'Flame, of course, can't stay here all alone.' Flame's mother turned and confided Sato voce to her husband. "'Young men might call. The lay reader is almost sure to call. He's a dear, delightful soul, of course, but I'm afraid he has an amorous eye.' "'All lay readers have amorous eyes,' reflected her husband. "'Taken all in all, it is a great asset.' "'Don't be flippant,' admonished Flame's mother.' "'There are reasons why I prefer that Flame's first offer of marriage "'should not be from a lay reader.' "'Why?' brightened Flame. "'Shh!' cautioned her father. "'Very good reasons,' repeated her mother. "'From the conglomerate packing under her hand "'a puff of spilled tooth-powder whiffed fragrantly into the air. "'Yes?' prodded her husband's blandly impatient voice. "'Flame shall go to her Aunt Mina's,' announced the dominant maternal voice. "'By driving with us to the station she'll have only two hours to wait for her train, and that will save one bus fare. Aunt Mina is a vegetarian and doesn't believe in sweets either, so that will be quite a unique and profitable experience for Flame to add to her general culinary education. It's a wonderful house—a bit dark, of course.' "'But if the day should prove at all bright—not so bright, of course, that Aunt Mina wouldn't be willing to have the shades up, but—oh, and flame,' she admonished still breathlessly, "'I think you'd better be careful to wear one of your rather longish skirts. And oh, do be sure to wipe your feet every time you come in. And don't chatter. Whatever you do, don't chatter. Your Aunt Mina, you know, is just a little bit peculiar.' BUT SUCH A WORTHY WOMAN, SO METHODICAL, SO—' To Flame's inner vision appeared quite suddenly the pale, inscrutable face of the old butler who asked nothing, answered nothing, welcomed nothing, evaded nothing. "'Yes, am said Flame. But it was a very frankly disconsolate little girl, who stole late that night to her father's study and perched herself high on the arm of his chair, with her cheeks snuggled close to his. "'Of Father Funny?' whispered Flame. "'I've got such a queer little pain.' "'A pain?' jerked her father. "'Oh, dear me! Where is it? Go and find your mother at once.' "'Mother?' frowned Flame. "'Oh, it isn't that kind of a pain. It's in my Christmas. I've got such a sad little pain in my Christmas.' "'Oh, dear me, dear me!' sighed her father. Like two people most precipitously smitten with shyness, they sat for a moment staring blankly around the room at every conceivable object except each other. Then, quite suddenly, they looked back at each other and smiled. "'Father,' said Flame, "'you're not, of course, a very old man. But still you are pretty old, aren't you?' "'You've seen a whole lot of Christmases, I mean.' "'Yes,' conceded her father. From the great clumsy rolling collar of her blanket wrapper Flame's little face loomed suddenly, very pink and earnest. "'But, Father,' urged Flame, "'did you ever in your whole life spend a Christmas "'just exactly the way you wanted to? "'Honest to Santa Claus now, did you ever?' why why no admitted her father after a second's hesitation why no i don't believe i ever did quite frankly between his brows there puckered a very black frown now take tomorrow for instance he complained i had planned to go fishing through the ice after the morning service of course after we'd had our christmas dinner and gotten tired of our presents "'Every intention in the world I had of going fishing through the ice, "'and now your Uncle Wally has to go and have a shock. "'I don't believe it was necessary. "'He should have taken extra precautions. "'The least that delicate relatives can do "'is to take extra precautions at holiday time. "'Oh, of course your Uncle Wally has books in his library,' he brightened. "'Very interesting old books that wouldn't be perfectly seemly "'for a minister of the gospel to have in his own library.' But still, it's very disappointing. He wilted again. I agree with you, utterly, Father Funny, said Flame. But, Father, she persisted, of all the people you know in the world, millions would it be? No, call it thousands, corrected her father. Well, thousands, accepted Flame. Old people, young people, fat people, skinnies, cross people, jolly people. Did you ever in your life know anyone who has ever spent Christmas just the way he wanted to? Why, no, I don't know that I ever did, considered her father. With his elbows on the arms of his chair, his slender fingers forked to a lovely gothic arch above the bridge of his nose, he yielded himself instantly to the reflection. Why, no, I... Don't know that I ever did, he repeated with an increasing air of conviction. When you're young enough to enjoy the day of a holiday, there's usually some blighting person who prefers to have it observed as a holy day. And by the time you reach an age where you really rather appreciate its being a holy day, the chances are that you've got a house full of rackety youngsters who fairly insist on reverting to the holiday idea again. Mm-hmm, encouraged flame when you're little of course mused her father you have to spend the day the way your elders want you to you crave a christmas tree but they prefer stockings you yearn to skate but they consider the weather better for corn popping you ask for a bicycle but they had already found a very nice bargain in flannels you beg to dine the gay kerchiefed scissor grinder's child but they invite the minister's toothless mother-in-law. "'And when you're old enough to go courting,' he sighed, "'your lady-love's sentiments are outraged "'if you don't spend the day with her, "'and your own family are perfectly furious "'if you don't spend the day with them. "'And after you're married, "'with a gesture of ultimate despair, "'he sank back into his cushions. "'No, no one, I suppose, in the whole world—' has ever spent Christmas just exactly the way he wanted to. "'Well, I,' triumphed flame, "'have got a chance to spend Christmas "'just exactly the way I want to. "'The one chance perhaps in a lifetime, it would seem. "'No heartaches involved, no hurt feelings, "'no disappointments for anybody. "'Nobody left out, nobody dragged in, "'Why, Father Funny,' she cried, "'it's an experience that might distinguish me all my life long. "'Even when I'm very old and crumpled, "'people will point me out on the street and say, "'There's someone who once spent Christmas "'just exactly the way she wanted to.' "'To a limpness almost unbelievable, "'the eager little figure wilted down "'within its blanket-wrapper swathings. "'And now—' Depreciated flame mother has gone and wished me on aunt mina instead with a sudden revival of enthusiasm two small hands crept out of their big cuffs and clutched her father by the ears oh father funny pleaded flame if you were too old to want it for a holiday and not quite old enough to need it for a holy day so that all you asked in the world was just to have it a holly-day? Something all bright, red and green, and tinsel, and jingle-bells. How would you like to have Aunt Mina wished on you? It isn't, you know, as though Aunt Mina was a—a a pleasant person, she argued with perfectly indisputable logic. You couldn't wish one a merry Aunt Mina any more than you could wish him a merry Good Friday." From the clutch on his ears the small hands crept to a point at the back of his neck, where they encompassed him suddenly in a crunching hug. "'Oh, Father Funny,' implored Flame, "'you were a lay reader once. You must have had very amorous eyes. Couldn't you please persuade Mother that, with a crisp flutter of skirts, Flame's mother herself appeared abruptly in the door. Her manner was very excited.' "'Why, wherever in the world have you people been?' she cried. "'Are you stone deaf? Didn't you hear the telephone? Couldn't you even hear me calling? "'Your Uncle Wally is worse. That is, he's better, but he thinks he's worse. "'And they want us to come at once. It's something about a new will. The lawyer telephoned. "'He advises us to come at once. They've sent an automobile for us. It will be here any minute.' "'But whatever in the world shall we do about Flame?' she cried distractedly. "'You know how Uncle Wally feels about having young people in the house. "'And she can't possibly go to Aunt Mina's till tomorrow, and—' "'But you see, I'm not going to Aunt Mina's,' announced Flame quite serenely. Slipping down from her father's lap, she stood with a round, roly-poly, flannel sort of dignity, confronting both her parents. "'Father says I don't have to.' "'Why, Flame?' protested her father. "'No, of course you didn't say it with your mouth,' admitted Flame. "'But you said it with your skin and bones. I could feel it working.' "'Not go to your Aunt Mina's?' gasped her mother. "'What do you want to do? Stay at home and spend Christmas with the lay-reader?' "'When you and father talk like that,' murmured Flame with some hauteur, "'I don't know whether you're trying to run him down or run him up. "'Well, how do you feel about him yourself?' veered her father quite irrelevantly. "'Oh, I like him some,' conceded Flame. In her bright cheeks suddenly an even brighter color glowed. "'I like him when he leaves out the litany,' she said. "'I've told him I like him when he leaves out the litany. He's leaving it out more and more, I notice. Yes, I like him very much.' "'But this ain't me to business,' veered back her father suddenly. "'What do you want to do? That's just the question. What do you want to do?' "'Yes, what do you want to do?' panted her mother. "'I want to make a Christmas for myself,' said Flame. "'Of course I know perfectly well,' she agreed, "'that I could go to a dozen places in the parish and be cry-babied over for my presumable loneliness. "'And probably I should cry a little,' she wavered, toward the dessert.' when the plum pudding came in, and it wasn't like Mother's. But if I made a Christmas of my own, she rallied instantly, everything about it would be brand new and unassociated. I tell you I want to make a Christmas of my own. It's the chance of a lifetime. Even Father sees that it's the chance of a lifetime. Do you? demanded his wife a bit pointedly. Bonk, honk screamed the motor at the door. "'Oh, dear me, whatever in the world shall I do?' cried Flame's mother. "'I'm almost distracted. I'm—' "'When in doubt, do as the doubters do,' suggested Flame's father quite genially. "'Choose the most doubtful doubt on the docket, and—' "'Flame's got a pretty level head,' he interrupted himself very characteristically. "'No young girl has a level heart,' asserted Flame's mother. "'I'm so worried about the lay-reader.' Lay reader," murmured her father. Already he had crossed the threshold into the hall, and was rummaging through an overloaded hat-rack for his fur coat. "'Why, yes,' he called back, "'I quite forgot to ask, but just what kind of Christmas is it, flame, that you want to make?' With unprecedented accuracy he turned at the moment to force his wife's arms into the sleeves of her own fur coat. Twice Flame rolled up her cuffs and rolled them down again before she answered. "'I—I I want to make a surprise for Miss Flora,' she confided. "'Honk! honk!' urged the automobile. "'For Miss Flora?' gasped her mother. "'Miss Flora?' echoed her father. "'Why, at the Rattlepane House, you know,' rallied Flame. "'Don't you remember that I called there this afternoon?' It it looked rather lonely there, I I think I think I could fix it, honk honk honk, implored the automobile. But who is this Miss Flora? cried her mother. I never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. How do we know she's respectable? Oh my dear, depreciated flames, father. Just as though the owners of the Rattlepane House would rent it to anyone who wasn't respectable. Oh, she's very respectable, insisted Flame, of lineage so distinguished. How old might this paragon be? queried her father. Old? puzzled Flame. To her startled mind, two answers only presented themselves. Should she say, Oh, she's only just weaned, or, Well, she was invented about 1406, between these two dilemmas a single compromise suggested itself. "'She's awfully wrinkled,' said Flame. "'That is, her face is. All wizened up, I mean.' "'Oh, then of course she must be respectable,' twinkled Flame's father. "'And is related in some way,' persisted Flame, "'to Edward the Second, Duke of York. "'Of that guarantee of respectability I am, of course, not quite so sure,' said her father." With a temperish stamping of feet and infuriating yank of the doorbell, Uncle Wally's chauffeur announced that the limit of his endurance had been reached. Blankly, Flame's mother, stared at Flame's father. Blankly, Flame's father, returned the stare. "'Oh, please!' implored Flame. Her face was crinkled like fine crepe. "'Smooth out your nose,' ordered her mother. On the verge of capitulation, the same familiar fear assailed her. "'Will you promise not to see the lay reader?' she bargained. "'Yes, am said Flame. End of Part One